0: Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, my business partner, uh, this smiling... Mr. Jason Johnston yelling, you had a little uh, smirk on your face.
1: Yeah, because you've got this list that you run through, friend, (laughs) business partner, right? Uh Uh, Join today as always. We've got that part. But somebody was mentioning to me just the other day, you guys have kind of given up on the what it is, what we do, that we
0: do. I thought about that.
1: I thought about that. Yeah. And I'm thinking, it's the first episode of season three. Yes. And... Well, our list has changed a little bit. Our lists in, yeah, in the years that we have been doing this.
0: So, shall we? I mean, we don't need to do it every episode, but not seeing, every episode. But, but seeing as how things have changed, do you want to? Would you, Jason, like to do the list?
1: Yeah, let me try and do this on the fly. Mm. So, <laughs> we have an independent bottling company called Single Cast Nation. Heard of it? That has an online and a retail presence in the United States. And we'll soon have an online and a retail presence in the UK and Europe. Mm -hmm. And Canada. And Canada. More of
0: Canada. Yeah,
1: we're coming back, Canada. Coming back strong. We have a whiskey tour company called Whiskey Geek Tours, Mm -hmm. which is on hiatus in 2019, but I've already started planning a couple of tours for 2020. Mm -hmm. And we used to have... A whiskey festival called Whiskey Jubilee, which was in New York, Chicago, and Seattle.
0: Uh-huh. Yep, yeah, that's been which,
1: mothballed, which is currently mothballed. Never say never; there might be something mm-hmm. in the future,
0: mm-hmm. but not in 2019 and not in 2020. No, we also—I mean, go ahead. You—you you do the list. There may be something you're going to miss here, and I'm, I have it at the ready. I've got—I got one in the chamber, as they say. <laughs> All I was going to
1: add is we also have this podcast called One Nation Under Whiskey, and I thank everybody for listening to it.
0: Yeah. There is something else that we will be doing in 2019, and we alluded to it in previous episodes. Uh, It's a new whiskey project, but, again, we're being totally squirrely about this. We don't want to let any cats out of any bags. But just know that our segment of What It Is What We Do That We Do will be augmented in the not too distant future. There you go. Oh, that was a big gulp. Gulp. I left
1: the uh, new project well enough alone because I don't know how much we're hinting at this stage.
0: That's that's it. I just I just want to have people remember just keep in mind I, I want them to wake up in the middle of the night and just in sweats. Whoa, what could they be doing? Oh, my gosh. What could it be? That's all. Cool, cool.
1: Good feedback on the mailbag episode from the close of season two.
0: Oh, you got feedback? Oh, we did get I was, feedback.
1: Oh, it was good to hear from people. Yeah, just it enjoying is. it. Just love hearing us covering the stuff. Uh, we did have somebody say... Uh, it was actually a new review on the iTunes, which was greatly appreciated, mm-hmm. with somebody said, was it the 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 marathon episodes actually don't last as long as you'd think? Or <laughs> the time goes <laughs> pleasantly, or some such like that. It was a compliment. I appreciated I it. I, I, I loved
0: it. Th- I think it literally said, time is fun when you're having flies. I think that's what it I- said.
1: I think that's the review you wrote for our podcast.
0: <laughs> it still hasn't been accepted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, know, you, you, you did post it as podcast runner, Joshua Hatton. <laughs> so here we are. We've got we've got a couple of tasty treats in our glass here. There are in honor of today's guest, the the man who shall kickstart season three of One Nation Under Whiskey podcast.
0: Yeah, the good James Wills. In fact, I've dubbed this episode, James Wills, Colin, the second coming. This oh, is the, nice. Isn't that nice?
1: I like that. Yep,
0: yep. This is the second time James is on our podcast, and I actually recorded this entire conversation back in October when, when I had him up in the Northeast. We were in New York and Massachusetts and Connecticut, and just sort of bouncing around here and there. You didn't record this
1: over days, though, and edit it down to, to a tight number of minutes, though. This is this was a one-hour raw footage,
0: audio, yeah. recorded in the car. Yeah.
1: I hear the indicator blink occasionally.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, so this conversation... So, so here's the thing, here's the thing. When you are in Massachusetts, when it comes to visiting your, your various... Liquor stores. There's maybe six, seven, eight, you know, really well known whiskey stores, you know, stores that whiskey geeks flock to. But the problem is they're scattered here, there, and everywhere. And so this conversation was recorded just after we were leaving Four Seasons, uh, which is in Hadley or North Hadley, Massachusetts and we had about a 2 hour drive or so to i want to say either julio's or gordon's fine wine and spirits so it was just this long long drive and what else are we going to do? going to talk and record what we talk about
1: so you had the handhelds as opposed to the lapels
0: no i mean yes yes we had the handhelds i don't and know what's why the said, truth of
1: the matter
0: the truth of the matter is we had handhelds Why did you lead with no? Because I had no idea. uh, (laughs) To be honest, I didn't really listen to the question.
1: (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, it's funny that you should bring that up because there is a portion of uh, today's interview
0: Uh
1: with James where he gave an answer to a question that you'd asked. Okay. And and you thanked him. You had a follow-up and off you went. And a little bit later, he circled back and he reiterated something he'd said earlier in answer to you. And you reacted as if
0: it was the first time you were hearing that answer. Was it a reiteration or was it him delivering it in a different manner? It, no, it was which a reiteration. It more,
1: no. No, I th- yeah. no, it was a reiteration. Yeah. You simply had not listened to it when he first said it to you. And when he doubled back on it, he knew you hadn't listened the first time. And then you gave huh. the, the wonderful response as you had heard it for the first time. Tremendous. So he,
0: he, norm, normally, in situations like this, I would say, sounds like me. But uh, I don't think so. I think this sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Yeah, yeah, I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. I probably I probably saw a shiny quarter, or perhaps I was keeping us alive on the road, Jason. Given the way you drive, you do need
1: to pay more attention to the road than most folk. I'm
0: just going to let that sit there. I don't, I, don't, I don't have a witty retort. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you see, and that's the joy of true statements. It's hard to get a witty retort. <laughs> so so I teased this a moment ago by saying we had a couple of tasty treats in our glass. I have the Kilhoman Full Sautern Cask Matured release, uh, which I want to say, let me see 2016, here. wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yep, model 2016. This is this is one I reach for a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and back when I had the the pleasure of selling Kohlman on behalf of Impex, I found a six pack of this in a warehouse in Tennessee, and um, I sold three of them by telling various retailers just how cherished it is, mm-hmm. uh, and I acquired the other three.
0: Huh
1: for for tastings that I was doing and things like that. So um just just to sh- I think it shows a wonderful side of the distillery. And yeah, y- I know that you're a lover of Sautern cask matured whiskies.
0: Oh, yeah, and th- and this one is is right up there. It's right up there with my favorite Kill Home and bottlings period. Yeah, fi- oh 100%. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah. and then bott- bottled at, um, I did know this. So once upon a time, a fifty percent alcohol, five zero. Yeah. So yeah. really, really tasty there. Okay. Lovely.
0: Well, I, uh, you didn't see what I put into my glass. Uh, mine was also bottled in 2016. This was for the U.S. Uh, East Coast Land Rover tour.
1: Oh, fun. I got yeah. one of those on my shelf.
0: So this is, it's basically cast-strength Macker Bay. But the, the phrase, basically cast-strength Macker Bay, makes zero sense. Because when Macker Bay is cast-strength, it does some crazy things. At that higher ABV, it becomes much more floral forward than the standard Macker Bay. Just that extra Agreed. alcohol. And there's this lovely sort of peanut brittle note that goes along with it as well, which I just love. And Um, and what did you say the ABV was? Uh, 60.1%. I didn't say. You didn't say? I didn't say. (laughs) I let you off the hook on that one. (laughs) I I went to bat for our listeners on that one. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but I'll tell you I don't I don't have much of this left. I mean, you could see it here. Oh boy, I have a, a heels worth left that has in this to be bottle. oxidizing. It is. I do have one full bottle left. I bought that somewhat recently. I had to replace this because this is you know, just like with the sauternes that you have, this is one of my favorite bottles. did you did you just
1: happen to find it on a store that you were
0: walking into? There is one shop in Massachusetts that basically puts out a bottle every now and again. And, and <laughs> so I'll, le- I'll, I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. <laughs>
1: I think that's a fine, cagey answer. <laughs>
0: hmm
1: Man, you used the word squirrely earlier. That's a little bit of a squirrely answer from you there.
0: <laughs> I
1: try. Mm-hmm. So, yes. given that I have the the pleasure, and I've said this in other episodes, of listening to the raw audio mm-hmm. that you record uh, on some of these interviews, and and hopefully you have the distinct pleasure of listening to my raw audio when the, the time comes. I do, yeah. I was, I was very struck by the fact that I, I felt like a fly on the wall hmm. when I was listening to the raw audio. It didn't sound too much like an interview and instead it sounded like the type of industry conversation we have when we're traveling around with other people in the industry if we if we meet at the bond and we're having a few pints and a few drams or if we're out for dinner with somebody or we're at an after party after a festival in chicago or something like that yeah These are the types of conversations we have. Hey, what are you up to? What's the latest? How's that developing? How's that building? Uh, Is that going to hit your needs? Is that going to work for you? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what this conversation was. However.
0: (laughs) 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 It's however, but, uh, you know, these are two words that help to nullify everything you said before that. With that said, yeah.
1: <laughs> there's there's an early moment here when you're just setting the table, mm-hmm. and it's 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 typical Joshua Hatton back and forth, uh, a bit of banter, as we say. All right, and and I want to get this, I want to get this out to the listeners. I want to get it delivered before we circle back because this one isn't really connected to the industry conversation. This is instead a setting of the table, and, and I think James is very careful during this setting of the table as you (laughs) do something
0: that you are prone to do. Yeah, it's funny that you say he's being careful, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Listen, here's the thing. These are the conversations that I love. And while you loved the industry part of it, I could listen to this part of it just forever. Roll the tape, maestro. So how's your week been? Tough. I've
2: been hanging out with this complete dick all week.
0: <laughs> wow, finally comes out. You've been holding back yeah. all week, and then I put a mic in front of you.
2: Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, things just have to be said, don't they? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a delight, you know, as always, hanging out with you, Joshua. Oh, look at that. You make yeah. me feel special. The mix of professionalism and cynicism. All right. No, no, no that's
0: not true. Actually, so just the charming. cynicism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zero professionalism. Just you being a downright. Ooh. Oh. Gosh, we're getting that. Uh,
2: the uh, see you next Tuesday is okay on the podcast.
0: Well, it's it's the beauty of uh, bleeping. Ah, right. And right. my my expert editing skills. <laughs> <laughs> so that's th- that's actually the only it's the only word that we don't have on the podcast with good reason. I think I think is I would wince. I pucker up slightly when I, when I hear
2: the Right, word. I, saw, I saw you. Yeah.
0: I saw you. Your cheeks kind of.
2: <laughs> You're very liberal with it, but you know, um, <laughs> yeah, it has to be pretty severe for me to drop that one.
0: Uh, I, you, you know what it is. It's I think people. People associate that word with a woman's body parts. And I've never I've never thought of it that way. It always seemed like the most extreme version of an a-hole. Right? Like of the biggest jerk in the world. He or she is a total.
2: Yeah, I think it's the few words that I would really hesitate to saying around my mother. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point Yeah But hey, you say it in such a lovely way It seems less aggressive It's my
0: uh, soothing, lulling yeah.
2: Yeah. voice that yeah. does not Yeah, especially in a thick Scottish accent there's, there's nowhere to hide once you drop that one
0: <laughs> But if you say that someone is a good
2: Yeah, yeah, that is the one Mind you, it's only like in the heart of Glasgow That you find people using that expression does that, that so from the much more genteel area of Edinburgh, which I hang out, in, <laughs> not the rough bars in, in Glasgow. You know, yeah. we, we don't we don't sort of stoop to those levels. You know? Oh, oh, okay. it's stooping. Stooping at that oh, point, certainly. it's stooping. Certainly, you only travel through Glasgow on the way to Edinburgh. You know, that's the thing. Wow, at least wow. from the west coast, anyway. For, uh, sadly, a lot of people get caught up and you know never escape. But
0: there, there is currently. There's a group of four people in Glasgow listening to yeah, this. I know. I, yeah. They've all gotten into their car.
2: Luckily, they don't know what I'm looking, I look like. They only know my voice. <laughs> and there are plenty of posh tossers hanging around in <laughs> Ed, both Edinburgh and Glasgow. So I feel safe enough.
0: Yeah, any listeners out there, please don't, uh, don't take your anger out on James. He's, he's actually a very good guy. He's very nice.
2: Why, why would they be taking their, oh, what, the Glaswegians? Right, because you just shit oh, yeah, all yeah. over the Glaswegians. Uh, okay, yeah, 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 sorry. That was just an everyday thing for me, I didn't <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: He acquitted himself well in that conversation, aside from... Oh. Uh, and <laughs> you, you made mention of a few listeners in Glasgow who might be reaching out uh, mm-hmm. to fill in the complaint form no one in Glasgow will use a complaint form. They will simply glass him in the face uh, <laughs> if they ever encounter him uh, in town of a Friday or Saturday night. Uh-huh. The, uh, yeah, Glasgow as a pass-through on the way to Edinburgh, that was that was a little bit cheeky in my eyes, mm-hmm. uh, being an Ayrshire boy uh, only 30 minutes away from Glasgow. Uh, we really just consider Glasgow the end of the line. Uh, you actually don't need to. Continue on past Glasgow oh, to see whatever's on the east coast. Uh, I'm not even sure Scotland has an east coast, to be honest with you.
0: <laughs> and this, and this is exactly the response that I was hoping for. You got the classic Glasgow versus Edinburgh, Edinburgh versus Glasgow, <laughs> and uh, it's just you know. I wish I had popcorn right now, just <laughs> just to. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Now to double back to what
0: I was saying earlier. Can you, before you double back, I've got a question. Can I back it up? Back what up is, the double back? What is the etymology of the term to double back? I, I, everybody knows what it means. You know, you want to revisit something that you were talking about. But do you know the, the origin of this? No. Okay. Can I go back to my introduction? It was a very poor... Oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> can, I, can I
1: double back to my introduction
0: now? Go ahead, go ahead. Double, you, you double back after that disappointing answer to my very smart and inquisitive question. <laughs> <laughs> wow, somebody's swallowed a dictionary this week. Wow. Have you
1: taken a third season... Um, <laughs> My God, you've stolen my words. I don't have them in my head. What's happening right now?
0: Yeah, I didn't swallow the dictionary. I took it more as a suppository. It's the only way I can absorb these words. (laughs) It is a large volume, I will be honest with you.
1: Um, So yeah, did you take a, a third season resolution
0: that you would be the man with the words? Yeah, I just wanted to... You know what? I've got a... Uh, a fairly broad lexicon and i feel that i just want to pepper pepper the conversation with these nuggets these <laughs> these words that have more consonants than than you used to hearing coming out my mouth if i just let you keep talking you're gonna run out of words <laughs> i know no stop, about it. stop me <laughs> <laughs>
1: i like things <laughs> So, Joshua, yes, now that you've thoroughly abandoned us <laughs> in this cul-de-sac, <laughs> <clears throat> let's throw it over to you and James Wills driving through Massachusetts with this rich fly on the wall industry
0: conversation. Let's fucking do it, man. Ah, uh, well done. So it is an absolute pleasure to to have you back in the states. And uh, to spend a full week with you. And it's a pleasure having you back on the podcast.
2: It's a pleasure to be back on the podcast. Although last time you catered, this time I... There's no drinks, there's no snacks, there's no nothing.
0: Oh, that's right. Last time yeah. it was at a diner and we had the omelette, yeah, an omelette about the size of yeah. your 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 young child. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: There was a lot of eggs that went into that one. But, yeah. I guess what I just have to do, you know, at least I don't have to look directly at you. I can look straight out (laughs) of
0: the front of the car. I was hoping to do this while looking longingly. Yeah, the eye contact does distract me sometimes. (laughs) I won't lie. Um, So, last time we spoke, I think, to be honest, it's been a while since I listened to the podcast. And I do listen to every episode but that was a bit over a year ago now and a lot has happened with Kilhoman in the past year right? yeah uh, so we've been uh, that was a a softball you mean uh, right okay yeah Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, so yeah I mean well on uh, aside from from the sort of whiskey selling front we've been doing a lot at the distillery um we started a sort of expansion program at the beginning of the year or uh, that's um, all to do with kind of improving our our visitor side of stuff at the distillery and uh, also expanding the production side particularly with a with the hundred percent Isla, you know whiskey that we produce in mind mm. so so increasing the amount of whiskey we make from the barley that we grow. Um, we bought the farm a couple of years ago uh, that the, the distillery sits on and and so we're now in complete control of of what we make. Uh, sorry in, in terms of the barley that we grow and we're growing more of it uh, and the original intention uh, that my father had when he when he built Gilhoman was to to produce as much whiskey as he could um from barley that we grow and uh He's, he's good when it comes to whiskey, but not so good when it comes to mathematics. And he uh, he cocked up when he built the malt floor in the kiln, because it, it realistically it was undersized for, for what we wanted to do. So yeah. we built a new malt floor.
0: Uh, what which, did he... Well, hold on, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But what did he base that... Did he base the original malt floor size on the assumed number of tons of barley he could get from the field, or was well, I'm, it... Well,
2: I'm pinning it on him. It's probably... He, in rea- uh, he, he got some bad advice, really. Um, so the the kiln in particular, not necessarily the malt floor, but the, the kiln was too small. The, it's we, tiny, yeah. The bed of the barley was uh, was too thick, you know. So that's a, a big reason why the the 100% Isla, the which is the whiskey which we make from the barley we grow, yeah. that's the big reason why that is lower, uh, significantly lower peating level because uh, because of that undersized
0: kiln. Okay. It's always the most romantic stories behind these things. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've gone ahead and you've increased your, the, the size of your malt floor and yeah. also the kiln.
2: Yeah. So we've got a, a malt floor that's roughly twice the size and we've got a, a kiln, which is, uh, about two and a half times the size to three times the size. Um, that gives us the malt floor allows us to to malt now 200 tons of barley every year uh which is the capacity of the farm in terms of growing barley so you know that allows us to malt all of the barley that we can possibly grow at the farm at the moment yeah and then the kiln is is bigger um the barley you know the the floor itself is is a bigger area um you know as i said almost three times the size Mm -hmm. which means the barley doesn't lie so thick um, and we can we can peat more efficiently and, and peat to a higher level if, if we choose to yeah. and also dry more efficiently it's, it's, yeah. but the processes haven't changed we're still mold multi- we're still turning the barley, laying it by down and turning it by hand clearing it by hand you know peating and and drying by hand but it's just the
0: facilities are okay more appropriate so get two questions that that came from this with regards to the farm is that 200. you know 200 tons of barley is that a fixed number do you have the opportunity to buy more land and potentially add more capacity to your barley fields or is it just fixed
2: it's it's fairly fixed i mean we can obviously buy more more ground um we can buy more land assuming it was for sale you know but we're talking about isla here you know it's not um land doesn't come up for sale very often and and to be honest I'm not sure we'd necessarily buy more ground because then we'd have to build another kiln again. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I think we yeah. kind of view this as a, yeah. as a fairly fixed uh, thing for now. But then we do all of these things thinking that we won't need any more space. And then and then, you know, and and then, then five then years get, later, yeah, suddenly we're yeah. scratching our heads thinking how we can do more. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we grow, we plant 100 acres of barley and we, can, we expect to harvest hopefully uh, two tons per acre. Of ground that we're planting, okay, and that's fairly typical of of Scotland in general. And one of the other interesting things that we're doing at the moment is that this year is will be the first year that we completely separate the two varieties that we are planting. In the past, we've harvested all of our barley, whether we whether it was one, two, three varieties that we had planted, we'd harvest it all together, and it would all be mixed in in you know all those varieties, those three or four varieties, whatever it was, would be yeah. mixed in with each other during the the harvest and the, the drying, the molting, and, you know, so you ended up with a, a multi-varietal uh, malt and, and single malt. This year we've harvested, we've planted specific fields with specific varieties. They've been harvested separately and will be molted, distilled, matured, and, and bottled as, as separate
0: varieties. That's interesting because most, most distilleries, especially the big houses, they will talk about their barley... But it's basically talked about in such a way where it's all about capacity. They switch to a new variety because they can get, you know, 2% more yield. It ends up being commoditized rather than, let's discover what those, potentially what the different flavors could be accessed from, from barley variety to barley variety. So so you'll be doing those separately do you have a plan for what that product may look like eight, ten years, five years down, whatever it is down the road?
2: Not really. I mean, there's a lot talked about barley source and barley variety. You know, where it's grown, terroir, and, and such. Yeah. We take all that with a with a pinch of salt. We're, we're not skeptical about it uh, because obviously we wouldn't be we would be going to all these lengths if we were if we didn't feel like there was going to be a a difference in the character yeah. between those varieties and, you know, and we experience differences in the, in the sort of texture and, and character of, of the new makes that we produce from, you know, our barley and the malted barley where we buy in, you know, there is a clear difference in, mm-hmm. in there's a, the peating level because we have two different peating levels, uh, comparing our, our own barley to the barley we buy in, they aren't directly comparable, um, but you know, there is a clear difference and so we expect there to be um, you know, a a clear difference between the two varieties that we're growing. Yeah. However, you know, we're not saying that difference in variety is going to be the biggest character difference between the two whiskies. Yeah. Because, you know, we're not of the opinion that barley is a is a big, big part of of the character influence in the whiskey. In terms of when I say barley, I mean where it's grown, how it's grown, and and the variety of the barley, it is an influencing factor. Sure. However, you know all of the processes you go through between the field and and the bottle. Mm-hmm. You know, malting, um, peating. You know, the peat to me is is the biggest sort of indicator of terroir that when it comes sense. to peated whiskey. Yeah. Um, you know, me for, for me personally, that is a real representation of of the ground from which it's come from. Um, you know, and then you're you're obviously fermenting yeast varieties, fermentation times, you know, and then you're double distilling. You know, there's and then maturing in a cast for you know five, 10, 15 years. Sure. Those pretty much all of those um, factors after the field, you know, will probably play a slightly bigger part than the barley variety. However, we want to we want to look into it. We, we're interested to see how the var, barley mm. variety influences it, and if we can improve what we're doing by growing slightly different barley varieties, we yeah. will absolutely do it uh, because we are about the detail. Yeah. Um, you know, you, We're not just trying to do big things right. You know, there are, there's a huge number of things we do at Kilhoman which are very, very detail-orientated. Orientated, you know. Every single process we can go through, I can tell you why specific things are done in specific ways, and okay. it's all geared towards the character of the whiskey. You know, we're not just pumping out single malt that we use for a variety of different things. You know, we'll just kind of see how it goes. We'll sell yeah, some yeah. blend, we'll sell some independent bottlers or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, everything we we're doing at Kill Home and we intend to bottle as Kill Home in single malt. So there's a very much a plan for what we're doing, but we just,
0: there's an element with, with Scotch whiskey. You just kind of have to see how it, how it yeah, develops. Yeah. And, and because it takes so long to actually become a whiskey, yeah, you can have a sense, but you can't have a final.
2: Yeah, I mean, we'll have a yeah. very good idea for yeah. for the differences in the character at the new make level. So next year, oh, you guys okay. are coming over to Isla. Yes. Um, yes. So uh, early next year, we sh- we should be able to taste. You know, the Ooh, two yeah. the two different varieties. So yeah. we're growing Octavian and, and Concerto, and we'll be able to to try those two different new makes. And you can you can taste. I fully expect that there will be quite a clear difference between the two. Wow.
0: Is there just looking at the barley itself? Is there a difference in how they look as a plant? Does one have more grains? Yeah, yeah. than Like
2: absolutely. If you, uh, we we just written a, an article about it for for our website, um, uh, looking at that, and there is a clear difference. The um, Octavian barley is is significantly bigger. It essentially has more grains on the head of the barley. Ha. Huh. Okay. Um, it looks, it looks like it's sort of it's the uh uh, the concerto's bigger brother okay um it just it just looks like a more sizable stem and and head of the barley the trouble you have with growing conditions on isla you have particularly high uh, wind speeds and so when you have a very a very heavy head on the barley yeah um you run the risk of that barley either dropping off the head or blowing flat in the high winds uh, which makes it much harder to to harvest so um you know we have to we have to think about that uh, more so than than growing growers on the east coast of scotland where they don't have to deal with the, the high wind speeds and and i think we talked about this the other day there's a weird you know geese on isla yeah, really influence this, yeah. how how we have to have to grow our barley because we have about a migrating population of about 50,000 geese that come to isla every every winter and we have to to wait for them to leave before we can plant the barley, because they, um, they'll just eat it. So uh, there's no point barley planting the barley until, until they've left. Yeah. And that happens about sort of um, kind of late May, uh, no, not necessarily late April, early May. Okay. Um, and so we are planting our barley roughly six weeks behind uh, mainland Scotland farmers. And that doesn't necessarily have an impact early on in the in the growing cycle it's but the harvesting when you get exactly when you get to the to the harvesting uh, point the barley on the mainland ripens and is ready to harvest at the end of summer uh you know probably mid late august however our barley is not ready to harvest until uh, our barley on isla so just for all Isla, isla um, growers you know it's not ready to yeah. harvest until well into september which is very much autumn and yes. you know We were, it took us about three weeks to get our harvest in because we were just getting storm callum, as it was called, blew in, and we were getting, you know, wind and uh, heavy rain, um, and it felt very, very autumnal. It didn't feel like we should be harvesting barley. Even your
0: storms have Scottish names. Not always. Callum. Not always, but this one did. this one (laughs) did. The thing with the geese before, because I had had another question, and and it gets back to your kiln, but... Just out of curiosity, and and I don't know if you know the answer to this, is that very much an Isla problem with the geese, or do you does that happen with some of the other Hebridean islands?
2: No, Isla is uh, is it's a unique issue to Isla. Isla is very green; it has a lot of fields, uh, you know, green pasture, and yeah. and so it's a much more attractive destination for the geese. I believe Isla is is the biggest population of geese that migrate to Scotland. Uh, there are other areas, but Isla is, is, a, is known for its geese population, certainly. Wow. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: and it dry, you know, it's not, a, you won't find many farmers talking favorably about the geese because if you come to Isla in, um, in early spring, you won't see a lot of grass around. Um, you won't see a lot yeah. of green grass because the geese are ripping all the grass out causes an issue we're getting more into farming now than, than whiskey but but it causes an issue for the lambs <laughs> yeah, yeah, as well because yeah. you're, you're having lambs in in early early yeah. spring and there's no grass for the yeah. for the for the ewes for the mothers to uh, to eat and and produce good quality milk so
0: it, wow. it, it creates all sorts of issues for, for farmers do you find that geese or goose finds its way onto menus come springtime Sadly, no. I'm not a big fan of geese.
2: You know, goose as a as a meat. But yeah, <laughs> okay. we we sort of look at them scornfully.
0: <laughs> but um, they are pretty.
2: Yeah. They're nice to see. It is a, they are. It is a real sort of thing about Islay, and you know, the locals talk about, oh, the geese are here, and oh,
0: the geese have left, and you know, they leave a lot of just massive green shits everywhere, though.
2: Yeah, I mean, if next time you're on Islay, I'll I'll show you goose damage because they 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 basically don't. They don't eat the grass like you would expect them to. They rip it up by the root. Oh, so they they physically pull the grass out out of the ground. So they don't eat it like a like a horse or a or a cow or, uh, or a sheep, you know, who, which sort of bites well, they have, off. Right? Yeah, they they have teeth to chew. where yeah, geese do the not. The geese pull it out by the root, uh, and then okay. they like to paddle. Yeah, yeah. So they they pull out the root of the grass, and then sort of paddle in the mud. So you have these big muddy areas
0: uh-huh.
2: in what uh-huh. in the uh-huh. summer are green yeah.
0: green fields. Oh yeah, I've got to see that. Oh. Um, okay, so back to whiskey. <laughs> yeah. You hinted toward the ability to do some more heavily peated uh, barley from your own production. Is that just something that that you know you can do, or something that you know you can do and want to perhaps dabble in that?
2: Uh, yeah, I think we will we will definitely dabble in in higher peating levels for the hundred percent Isla malts, but. We haven't we haven't done it yet because it's still relatively new to us. Um, yeah, sure. you know the this the new malt floor was. I think we started using it just before the festival in in May. So we haven't really gotten to that point where we're we're thinking about experimenting with stuff. Yeah. We're we're trying to get through. We'll probably get through this year and then next year think about how we can mix stuff up um, okay. on, on that side of things.
0: Yeah. And would you? would you want to get it to the levels of the 50 ppm that you get from Port Ellen Maltings or somewhere?
2: I think if we were to do it, we'd go uh, above that.
0: Oh, even heavier. Yeah, I think we would go, uh, I'm saying
2: this without consultate with my father. That, I mean, <laughs> he will ultimately make the call on it. But um, Yeah, it's it's official now. You've you've put it on this podcast. Yeah, yeah I've committed to it. Dad, <laughs> if you're listening, we're doing it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think we'd try and go up above that because okay. I mean, in, in my mind, there wouldn't be
0: much point in just matching the peating level in our other right. in our other stuff. I yet. mean, un- unless the unless the peat is from a different source, and therefore, like you had said, it peat is terroir, and 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 peat could be so diverse. but you think it'd be too similar that you'd so you'd really want to go higher? Well, all of our peat comes from either. And uh, you know, to me, as
2: just to get, sort of reiterate a point, get back on a point, terroir in, in whiskey, particularly when it comes to peated whiskey, uh, I think it's a unique topic to peated to peated whiskey. That the, the terroir of the whiskey, you know, the the reason why it tastes a certain way mm-hmm. uh, as a result of where it's made, really is on isla peat. You know, the the Islay peat is soaked in the Atlantic sp- uh, spray. For, yeah. Yeah. for decades you know hundreds of years um, in some instances and and that has a real impact on the whiskey you know all of that salty maritime flavor well, not all of it you know th- all of these points are arguable you know yeah, so yeah, yeah, sure. i don't want to be black and white about it but when it comes to Kilhoman, a significant portion of that salty character is really coming from from the peat and the fact that it's isla peat that we use if we um, if we bought malted barley that had been peated on the mainland as other Isla distilleries do, you have a different character, a different flavor. To me, it tastes much more ashy. You don't have that that sort of salty, um, in some cases, quite um, medicinal um,
0: and sweet. You know, yeah. the sweetness comes through as well from the Isla peat. So I know, I know Bermore, Brooklati do not use, they're not using Port Ellen maltings for their barley. So they're, you know, they're getting stuff peated off the island or bringing peated whiskey or peated barley. I'm sorry, from maltsters that that use Highland peat. Are they the only two on the island that aren't using Isla peat, or uh, which ones do you say? Sorry? Uh Bemore and Brocolati. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Um, I don't know about more mixed it in, so
2: Bemore oh, obviously a- have their own malting. Yeah, they of have, course. They have yeah. their own malting, and so they they are malting a, a proportion, a portion of their of their malted barley is is malted on site and, and peated using Isla Peat I assume uh, it'd be very strange if they were peating on Isla course, and not using yeah. Isla Peat but they do then add in some uh, some peated malt from, from the mainland okay. as well and I so far as I mean I'm always apprehensive just sort of tell you what other people for are doing, other people yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. because I, truth is I, I i don't really know 100% but my understanding is the bruce laddies peated malt
0: comes in from the mainland yeah Yeah, that's that's peated, my understanding yeah. as well yeah. so okay so you we we talked about your malt floor we've talked about your your kilns can you go into the the other parts your your stills and yeah. what what's
2: happening there so we are we're effectively building a, an entirely new still house. It really goes back to when my dad first started Kilhoman and how he saw the future of Kilhoman panning out. Yeah. And so when he, when he built Kilhoman, he, he installed very small stills. Uh, they are really some of the smallest stills in Scotland uh, because he, he never really saw us producing more than 100,000 litres of alcohol. Wow. Uh, you know, At the moment, we're producing 300,000. We plan to go up to, to a capacity, you know, a potential um, capacity of about 600,000. Uh, we won't necessarily make that, but that's going to be the option with two new stills. So he, he set out and installed these very small stills and they are really quite unique. Uh, even the new new distilleries that you see popping up all around Scotland, they kind of have built in a bit more flexibility. Okay. So they've installed bigger stills um, so that they can more easily increase their, their capacity if sure. they choose to. However, it's, it's, it's a real blessing having these, these small stills in terms of the quality of the spirit. High copper contact means you've got a really clean spirit and, and that has called, contributed absolutely to the success of Kilhoman to this point. But, yeah, two new stills. Um, and, yeah, my, my father could not have really, if you if you went back 10 years or, or not even 10 years, like five years, said to my dad, oh, yeah, well, in five years' time, you're going to be building a new still house and, and putting in two more stills and you know, upping your capacity to 600,000, yeah. he would have... Laughed in your face, potentially. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the idea is that everything is exactly the same. Okay. You know, so our capacity at the moment is limited by our stills, so we that's the reason why we have to put in two more. Okay. And it will be same stills, uh, full size stills, exactly the same uh, specification, yeah. uh, steam-fired. Um, we actually need to put in a, a new uh, mash tun as well. And uh, what will what will end up happening is we'll almost operate as two little mini distilleries within the one. Mm-hmm. So on the, on one side we will have effectively the, the 100% Isla distillery distilling from our, our malted barley that we're okay. growing. And then on the other side, we will have the sort of 50 PPM distillery in effect, which will,
0: which oh, will be producing from our, from our heavily peated malted barley we buy in. Does that save you Time on, like I, I imagine, when you're switching between 50 ppm and 20 ppm, right? Your Port Ellen maltings barley and then your own barley. You may be cleaning your stills in between the two, or, or, or it's the it's the
2: low wine spirit safe. Yeah, that's where you need to clear out. So yeah, it takes time, and you have some wastage as a result. So uh, by separating the two, we
0: can we can have more continuity in what we're doing. Wow, and but but you won't be changing your processes at all you're no, f- fermenting no. the same you're mashing the same yeah, you're doing exactly yeah, exactly the same um, okay. yeah we were,
2: it had to be like that um, yeah. i don't know for sure but i think a lot of distilleries when they've expanded and you know their production they potentially you know reduce some fermentation times okay. or you know increase their cuts but potentially yeah we are i've never messed around with any of that side of, of the distillery uh, Dr. Jim Swan, who specked out all of the equipment and and got us producing, you know, what is a really fantastic new make spirit, mm-hmm. hit the nail on the head first time around, oh, yeah. and uh, and we've never never messed uh, messed around with anything that we do
0: in in this distillery. We've always been very happy with uh, with the spirit, yeah. the quality of our spirit. So you had said that if if we asked your dad five years ago uh, about expanding the distillery, doubling the size of the distillery, he would have laughed. Now here you are fast forward five we- five years and you are into it. You are in expansion mode. And obviously sales spurs that but, but what's what's the change? What was that shift over the past five years that's got you to the point that says, Oh man, we, we need to up this production or else?
2: I think my dad never really thought that Kilhoman Would be able to sort of mix it with the big boys. I think you know. Mm. I think he he came from an independent bottling background, and there is a bit of you know separate, although certainly was a bit of separation between you know the what he perhaps maybe saw as as the 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 big guys and um, mass-produced stuff and yeah available everywhere kind of thing. I think he kind of saw uh, Mm. a ceiling to what the the smaller producers Uh, yeah a ceiling to where they can get to. He's very sort of pleased and, and I don't know, he's perhaps surprised in many ways by how well the whiskey has been received and and it's just it's down to the passionate people all around the world, um, yeah. you know, yeah. who who love Scotch whiskey, who love Isla whiskey. And, you know, they are just as passionate about the whiskey that we put out as, mm-hmm. as we are, you know, yeah. so all of that sort of positive sort of feeling and and people going out and saying you 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 try this these guys are a miler and isn't this great you know that's just been a snowball effect which seems to just keep on you know still be rolling Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and you know we have to plan for the future and and our stocks have always been quite tight you know that's why we only have the two core range products because we're just we want to lay down stocks for later years and we want to have you know a, a decent range of stuff so we have to we have to be careful about what we yeah. what we're putting out there and yeah this this allows us to be you know to sort of chase you know we are ambitious we are yeah. we are not just a, you know sat on on isla doing our thing and and maybe you know that's perhaps a slightly strange thing to say to potential customers but you know we are we want to we want to grow we want to we want to get out there sell as much whiskey as we can and we we um we want to keep on doing that we want to want to push on sure so and and that's all part of of why we're we're expanding you know, it's a big risk yeah. my dad has gone through so he put all this money in then he put some more money in and then you know the distillery from a consumer side is but maybe many people think it's all been rosy you know people kill him and put out this great young whiskey and everyone's always always really enjoyed it and and that from a from a whiskey point of view has kind of been the case but on the other side at the distillery you know we've had some really tough financial times yeah and we've we've gotten through that now and we're selling whiskey in, in quantities where we're on a stable footing um, but we've only been that way for a couple of years and yeah. and I admire my dad in many ways because he's just he's he's chasing it and he and he's more than willing to just go straight back you know bulls out help yeah yeah, spend yeah a yeah. load more money go goes straight yeah. back into in, into owing the bank an eye watering amount of money <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And so they're chasing this yeah. dream kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for what's happened with Kill Home. and it's just rather
0: painful sometimes giving him credit. Yeah, it's it's that all of that came out with a bit more ease than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: if he was in the room, it'd be a different story.
0: Wow. You you'd mentioned something uh, quite interesting that that made me think of some of the whiskies that we've been pouring over the week. Uh, you, you talked about stock being tight. And over the past week, we've been pouring some new whiskeys, the, the new version of Loch Gorm, the new 100% Isla. And, and both of these are made up of whiskeys from a range of ages. And, and the common story, when you talk about non-age-stated whiskeys is there's likely a lot of young juice in there, but there could be older stuff. And producers are using a range of ages to give you a range of flavors within the whiskey. And obviously that makes sense. But there's a bit of a logistical reason for it as well, which is tied directly to a distillery's own inventory and, and I wonder if you could talk to some of the struggles that you've had with your inventory that may have influenced what you've done to help shape your whiskies.
2: Yeah, so, you know, being a new distillery, you obviously have the, the huge challenge of of building up stocks. And that's not a that's not something that happens over over five years, you know, ten years, it's something that happens over, you know, twenty years plus, you know, only talk to the guys at kind of Aaron and and you know, they have to you have to take a really long, long-term long view of it. Yeah, And even more so at Kilhoman, because in those early years, we were producing very little alcohol, really. As I said, my, my dad kind of viewed us as building towards that 100,000 litre mark, and then we'd kind of stop there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in the first couple of years, 2006, for example, we only, I uh, think, produced about 40,000 litres, and we sold half of that as, as um, private cars, you know, people... Huh. Know, yeah. private customers who wanted to buy barrels of whiskey because we needed the money <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, and that's the story for the next couple of years you know we we produced maybe 80,000 liters in 2007 and, and we sold a good portion of that and then as you get to the sort of 2012 13, 14, you're then using that stock from those first three or four years and so it you kind of takes two three steps forward two steps back with all of the all yeah. of the whiskies you're putting out you want to demonstrate um, a development in terms of maturity, but it, you don't want to blow a hole in, in a single year's stock and just use it all up. Okay, um, so when we it took a bit of persuading, actually, my dad wanted to, to kind of lay down these stocks and, and, and leave them there. And, um, there's a, there's a point at which you kind of have too little to kind of it, to be genuinely useful in many mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. if you have less than 20 or 30 casts of one type from a certain year there's a real limit to what you can do and you're probably realistically going to have to just bottle them as, as single cast at some point in the future oh, okay however what we we've tended to do is is yeah take that opinion to a, a certain extent but mix some of these older whiskies in um, you know take the Lock Gorm for example where you've got younger sherry maturation it's big and it's bold and it's you know it's dry and rich and yeah. and people people love it because it you know it hits the palate and you have this big sherry um, explosion, but sometimes it's it's not you know, this is going to sound like it, those whiskies are bad, but you know, sometimes it lacks a little bit of subtlety Yeah, you oh, know, yeah when it comes exactly. to yeah. that third, fourth, fifth time you go back to that whiskey and, and there's not a lot of d- character development after that when you start a- adding in some of these older casks you're getting much more of a, of a sort of light touch in many ways, you're getting yeah. that Big bold influence, and then yeah. behind that, you've got much more complex development yeah, of, sure. of fruity character and, and complexity, um, a
0: little but, more elegance that only a slightly older whiskey could. Yeah,
1: provide. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And, and so, we' we've done that more so than than saying, right, okay, well, this is seven years old, this is eight years old, this is nine uh, years old, kind of thing. Okay, uh, okay.
0: With with Kilhoman really being built to produce and bottle young whiskey uh, that's that's quite mature and balanced for for its age. Uh, you know, mature well beyond its own years. You are sitting on some stock that is getting 10, 11, 12, nearing 13 years because uh, this December will be your, your 13th anniversary of distillate coming off the stills. And I'm just curious, from from your own perspective, where do you think the spirit is is headed? And do you personally like where it's where it's going?
2: Uh, an interesting, interesting question. Um, it's it's very hard to to say as a whole where the spirit is direct is, is headed. Yeah. Um I think no matter what whiskey you're talking about, it you know, it it always goes back to the, the new make spirit and uh, a lot of the time when you've tasted whiskies from that distillery and you kind of are sort of feeling out their their overall style but you maybe haven't been able to put your finger on on them as a distillery style yeah. you taste their new make spirit and suddenly it all makes sense yes you know yeah yeah for us you know we're the new make spirit that we produce is very light and floral and, and fresh and got a lot of tropical fruitiness in it and it, we're almost as that spirit gets on now over 10-12 years all of that lightness is, in many ways is coming back into the whiskey because mm. a lot of the time when you've got all that light character in, in the new make and then you mature it for 4 or 5 years and it becomes quite big and bold and powerful oh, yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then actually after that it's kind of you've lost some of the sort of citrusy floral side to it sometimes yeah and yep. that's really coming back into the whiskey as it as it gets beyond uh, those ages. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So I think it's I think you're gonna see a lot more sort of tropical fruity characters coming back into Killhoman. Oh, That's lovely. Um and you know, the peat's gonna not subside, but it it it, it integrates more within the whiskey as well. Yeah. Well, undoubtedly the, the the peat smoke is tapers off. You know, as you mature the whiskey it tapers off sure. a bit. But it's really just it's kind of developing into this this richness as well, which, which is um, is is working really nicely. I think some of the times I go into into the warehouse and it's great because I taste it. I think oh, God, that's fantastic. Oh, that is really really yeah. good whiskey. Yeah. But then I'm all, I, sometimes I go back and I go back home and I pour myself a five year old whiskey, and I, I feel much <laughs> more sort of nostalgic about Kilhoman because to yeah. me that is you know that's that's what we do and I, I can taste Kilhoman DNA as I said um, yeah. in the younger stuff. Even though you know some of these older bourbon casks and sherry casks are just really really spectacular now, and we we will be there are the odds sort of private cask twelve year old out there which is isn't sadly isn 't our whiskey, so to speak because um, <laughs> yeah. these the early people who bought casks in two thousand and six two thousand and seven yeah, have been back. have been bottling theirs, but we 've been sort of holding back a bit from from doing that, but we will be releasing in in November a club release which is you know if you if anyone wants to buy it, you just all you have to do is is basically a, a glorified newsletter that we send out yes and it's free to join you just go on the website and then you have access to this club bottling which we do once a year and this year it will be two 12 year old Oloroso Sherry Butts oh yeah. oh it won't be bourbon it'll be Oloroso no Oloroso, full, sherry. Full Oloroso. Uh, two oh
0: my gosh.
2: two Butts which my dad selected the other, other day actually is this uh, one per person Yeah, sadly, one per person. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
2: Okay. (laughs) So buy a bottle, pop it, drink it, for
0: Christ's sake. Don't put it on the shelf and let it evaporate. No, no, no. Are you you able to ship to the U.S.? Oh,
2: God, I've backed myself into a corner now, haven't I? Uh, (laughs) I think certain parts of the U.S. Yeah, actually, uh,
0: I, I think you may have been able to ship to me. I, I think you run into the same problem that folks like...
2: yeah, that people, Joshua, can take orders. Uh, no, oh, uh, yeah, great. You know, we're, I've put we'll, myself in a corner. He's an
0: upstanding bloke <laughs> and we'll trust him to <laughs> distribute it one bottle per person. Wow. so I got you to give me a compliment. That's pretty, <laughs> I'm upstanding now. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. That was a shame. That slipped out.
1: I didn't mean it to. <laughs> I'm sure you'll make up for it
0: <laughs> ten times over.
1: <laughs> Thanks to James for... All of that conversation. There's a number of points we could tease out of it, but mm-hmm. I really wanted it to, to sit like that. One of the major aspects that I wanted to bring up to you, Joshua, mm-hmm. is listening to how one goes about building a new distillery in Scotland that was the first one on Isla for 125 years, mm-hmm. and and was really uh, one of the you know first ones in Scotland in. Several, several decades. And I think this ties beautifully to the episode we had not too long ago with Vienna Barger at Southern Distilling Company.
0: Well, yeah. Where
1: now we're starting to see projects where distilleries are being built with expansion in mind. People understand okay, there's so many numbers we're going to hit in our first year, our first three years, our first five years, first 10 years. Mm-hmm. But we need to be able to grow into the space that we're in. And it's interesting listening to James talk about his dad, Anthony, thinking 100,000 litres annually of annual production would be their number. Yeah. And, and they would just occupy that number. And that's where they would live. It's interesting to me that there was foresight to see that there was room in the whiskey world for not just another Scottish distillery, but another Isla distillery. Yeah. But even Antony, in building it didn't see the the size, the largesse of the demand that was coming down the road. Hmm. And so for them to now be, you know when were we there 2017 and they had the scaffolding and they were building the kiln, the new kiln. Yep. Uh, That was the beginning of that expansion. The need to purchase the farm so that they could take charge of growing the barley that would be required for a hundred percent Isla. There's, there's a lot of that. Oh gosh, look where we are now. Mm. Look what we're producing now. Look at the demand. Now we need to, not just double our capacity, the, the fact that Anthony thought they were gonna max out at 100,000 and now James in this conversation is talking about having a capacity for 600,000 liters annually. That's a mind-boggling place to be mm-hmm. in in the space of, you know, 14 years from when the still started running in December of 2005 to now us sitting, having this recording in, in February of 2019. That's remarkable.
0: It, it is. But I think back to what Anthony's original thoughts were. His original thoughts were, let's make as much whiskey as we can from the barley that we source from the farm, right? There's your 100,000 hmm. that, you're, that you're aiming for. However, your mash tun, your washbacks, your stills, allow you for capacity up to almost 300,000 liters. And that is kind of where Kilhoman has been living for the past exactly. few years, You know, still only doing about 25% of that being whiskey from their own barley, from their own farm, et cetera. But now having two still houses, a malt floor that is two and a half times the size of the original malt floor, a kiln that is now about the same to two and a half times the size of the original kiln. Now they're able to max out their 100% isla to become a bigger part of of their overall production and still have room to expand even further with the barley that they get from Port Ellen Maltings. So, I just, I wanted to lay it out like that just so you can see how how it evolved. Well, and in addition to to what you're just saying there,
1: I love listening to James saying, we'll operate 100% Isla kind of as its, you know, quote unquote, as its own distillery. Yeah. Right? Yep. Whereas those standard releases that we're used to seeing, the Makar Bays and the Sinegs, uh, even your Loch Gorms, you'll... You'll have them operate as they always have mm-hmm. with the current setup, uh, and rightly or wrongly, it made me think of Aaron. I've hmm. I've always I've always thought of Aaron and Cole as close bedfellows. You know, Aaron coming online ninety five, Cole coming online two thousand and five. Yeah, um, both being represented by Impex uh, in their early days in the United States. Uh, even you and I with single cast nation coming out the gate with a Culhoman and an Aaron, right?
0: Yeah, there's that's a really good point. Yeah.
1: Right. And then you and I pouring our single cast nation Culhoman and Aaron next to the distillery's own Culhoman and Aaron. So so I, I always think of them in, in similar ways. And right now you've got Aaron who are established in Loch Ranza, putting out standard release Aaron, uh, the peated version of Macri Moore. But now they're building Lag on the south end of the island. That's a good point. Yeah, and Lag will be a peated Aran distillery, peated and, only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so, as much as yet yeah, on a scale that they're, they're operating slightly differently. But in my mind, I loved hearing James say the hundred percent Isla will operate as its own entity, its own beast, and then the standards will operate as their own entities, their own beasts. Even if we're within one distillery, we're still using that malting floor. We're still using that new kiln. So, yeah, yeah. It just just where my mind went with it, and I'm I'm as excited to see what happens with 100 Isla going forward as I am to see what comes from the Lag distillery in Arran.
0: It'll be interesting to see if there are changes at all to either spirit. Not running the two different kinds of. Of spirit through their stills and, you know, through all of their, uh, production, it, I, I doubt there, there will be any very noticeable changes, but i will be curious to sort of watch this space, watch it evolve.
1: Yeah. And actually the day that this podcast goes live, you and I will be at the Kilhoman Distillery. Uh, we should post some photos to One Nation Under Whiskey uh-huh. Facebook group and And let the listeners see what we're talking about in this episode and, and what James has been talking about you know show them that new malt floor, maybe show them the warehouses, show them that new kiln
0: that's a good point, yeah, Facebook and Instagram yeah, 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 good that, idea that, yeah. thank you
1: hmm. that, that's me for season three <laughs> uh, I'm just free basing from now on that's how I say it right <laughs> I think that's it freebasing. <laughs> I said that somewhere in one of my tastings. i, mean, I you know, I, I was going to say I'm coasting now from now on, but and I like to say freebasing. And somebody in the tasting was like, um, "You know what that means, right?" I was like, "Yeah, freebasing. I'm just coasting along, taking it easy." They were like, "That's no, but that means sure it is. What's wrong with you?" <laughs> no, um, no, it's that's that. It means something very different in drug culture. I was like, "No, no, well." is what we say in Scotland. So that's my get out jail free card. Uh,
0: I tell you, it that reminds me of one of one of Haida's friends has a sister who works for for Disney, for I think Disney World. And <laughs> the sister's official job title is as uh she's a fluffer. <laughs> and and that's what's on the card. It says fluffer, and I'm like Okay, and like, no, what what does that actually mean? And so, what she does is she, you know, you go to Disney, and there are there are hey, just
1: stop there, stop there. You go to Disney, they have a fluffer, everybody's good.
0: Uh, they, you know, there's characters everywhere, right? The Chippendales, the the Plutos, the you know, you name. It. She fluffs Chippendales at Disney. <laughs> Wow. Did Disney buy Magic Mike? Like, her, what's happening right her, now? Her job is to ensure that the the costumes, the fur on them, look nice and fluffy. And <laughs> yeah. why wouldn't they say costume
1: fluffer or even just Mickey Mouse's personal fluffer? Like, that's, I, you know, that, that clearly communicates something.
0: <laughs> uh, but then it wouldn't be funny. Then it wouldn't wow. be funny. It's just like saying, think- yeah, go ahead. We've made
1: it two seasons without a cease and desist. The first time we mention Disney, we're going to get a cease and desist. Oh, shit. Enjoy this part while you can, because ultimately it will be edited out of this episode when Disney send in the cease and desist.
0: Yeah, exactly. Once we receive that, we'll take it out of the episode. But until then, we're going to- Think they're looking to buy an independent bottling company?
1: Since they're listening to this anyway. Hey, Disney, have your lawyers call us. Yeah, I they mean, bought it, Marvel. They bought Fox Studios. They bought Star Wars. They bought.
0: Yeah, why not know? buy single cast nation? Yeah, come on, lawyers, you know you wanna. I would be their personal fluffer <laughs> if they let if they purchase yeah. us <laughs> the nineteen
1: seventies <1970s> definition.
0: <laughs> yeah, come on, Disney moving into the distilled spirits industry. <laughs> I tell you because I do go to Disney um, fairly often with the family, they do a fair number of single-barrel yeah. picks for their restaurants. Get out of town. I will not get out of town. Do they really? Yeah, they do. They had a really fantastic single-barrel Jack Daniels that I tasted I've had, last I've, year.
1: You know, I, I hope I hope we've got listeners right now that are scoffing at the idea of a single-barrel Jack Daniels because I I definitely did as well. I've had some real crackers from them.
0: Yeah, you if so long as you don't dilute it down to 40% alcohol and you just let let it fly like I just bought one recently from Wise Old Dog up in West Hartford and I think the ABV was 68.75. Oh,
1: those those are numbers that I like
0: on the whiskey label. And like say a George T. Stag you're not getting the heat. You're just getting waves of flavor, and so they, Beautiful. yeah, yeah. This 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 single barrel Jack Daniels should not be overlooked. But anyway, my point is, yeah, they they have people at Disney doing some single barrel bourbon picks, and whoever they have down there is doing a bang up job. I've Man, I'd love too. to interview
1: that person. Right? Wow. Okay. Disney lawyers have your people. You, you don't have to send the fluffer. <laughs> Unless you want to. We'll accept the fluffer if you send them. Um, but yeah, let's... Can we talk to the person that selects your barrels? Wow. I didn't
0: know that was a thing. Uh, do you think they have someone who selects their fluffers as well? <laughs> Anyone who fluffs their casks? Listen, before... I'm listening. I'm yep, all yours. Yep. Before we go on to the news, mm-hmm. I just wanted to know if there was anything else from the conversation that, that jumped out to you, that kind of you, you agreed with what James said or you are surprised by hearing him say this or something that was new to you that stood out? I liked it
1: when he talked about the nostalgia for the five-year-old. And, hmm. and I think it's a very real problem and using problem with a small P there. A very real problem for a Colholman is what happens as you get to having 10-year-old stock and 12-year-old stock. And and you and I tasted this and it actually was just mentioned in the in the conversation with you and James. You and I each managed to secure a bottle of the 12-year-old that was the club release. Yeah, yeah, yep. And and it's Good, it's jolly good. It's jolly good peated whiskey. I'm, I'm a bit with James. I have, uh, I have a similar nostalgia for the, the old days, the young stuff. Mm. I, and I've said this to you many times. Kilhoman anticipation, which was two year old spirit, uh, released way back in the day. Mm-hmm. I love, I love, 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 love. Oh it. yeah, yeah. And and I think Kilhoman does so well as a young spirit that the question becomes, well, do we make a standard five-year-old? Do we make a standard eight-year-old? Do we make a standard 10-year-old? And and where does the rest of the line go after that? And I think it's something that will have to be carefully considered. hmm as they work out what the line is going to be. James, in that interview, talked about they really only have two items in their standard line, the Macro Bay and the Sineg. And the question that many, many whiskey fans and especially fans of Kilholman have asked is will there come a day when we see a standard age statement, Kilholman, mm-hmm. that we can hang our hat on? And my hope would be that the success of Lagavulin 8-year-old when they are so well-known for their 16-year-old and their distiller's mm-hmm. edition, the success of that 8-year-old, I really hope, um, could lead to Kilholman putting out maybe a standard 8-year-old Kilhoman.
0: I would welcome that for sure. But let me just add something here. Now, I agree with you. That 12-year-old club release, fine whiskey. No doubt about it. An enjoyable Kilhomen. However, I think I would drink a younger macro bay. I would drink the macro bay that I'm drinking over mm-hmm. the 12-year-old. I would drink the Sauternes that you're drinking over the 12-year-old. I would mm-hmm. drink the port cask matured stuff over the 12-year-old. All of these are three, four, five, six years old. However, you are you're using that one 12-year-old club release as a benchmark for what 12-year-old Kilhoman would taste like, and I don't think it's a very good benchmark. It's a good whiskey, but there was a 12-year-old single sherry cask for the U.S. that just came in, and when I tasted that, it knocked the Kilhoman Sauternes cask, the one that you're drinking right now, out of first place for my favorite Kilhomans for me. That 12-year-old single sherry cask had everything that I look for in young Kilhoman, but had really good oak development that I look for in double-digit age-stated whiskeys. So I thought it was really well-balanced. It nodded toward young Kilhoman. It nodded toward Kilhoman getting older. So I don't think that it's fair to base what older Kilhoman could be like Off of that club bottling and not saying that you are, but just as we're having this conversation, I don't don't think anybody should make uh, assessments based on a single release or two releases. You've got to keep on exploring and they have to keep on exploring their, their own stocks and what they're going to release because they're going to be the ones shaping what older Kilhoman tastes like. Oh, for sure, right? For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I also think they'll be looking
1: to strike that balance between, you know, we came out the doors early with with two year old spirit. We followed that up with uh, seasonal releases that were all young. Mm-hmm. We had a good following. This the Saturn cask in front of me is five years old. There's an entire fan base for Kuhlman that knows and loves young Kuhlman. So how do you? placate that fan base yeah. while also expanding your lineup? I, I think that's that's the real question. It, and that's that, that to me is what's fascinating about Whiskey, is yeah. watching how the distillery, Antony uh, yeah. and everyone, how they pull that off.
0: I think that's both, both the question and the answer. You need to placate those that have fallen in love with young Kilhoman you need to also offer up, eventually, offer up older stock to those that may have dodged Kilhoman because they don't really enjoy younger whiskeys. Maybe that, maybe those bigger, brighter flavors don't appeal to them. And they're the type of people who say, I only drink things that are 12 years old, 15, 18 years oh, old. Oh,
1: and we've, we've met those people.
0: Yeah. and th- they're- We bottled
1: a four-year-old single-cast homan
0: Right. You know, I think those people are more the norm than Mm -hmm. those that are interested in in younger whiskeys.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think it continues to be fascinating watching Culholman's journey, and especially when someone like James is as honest as he is. And and I know that everybody associated with Culholman is very, very honest and transparent. Um, But I'm only saying, James, in the sense of the conversation that we have played today. And that's why I love that conversation. Why it is an industry conversation is there wasn't marketing bullshit clouding up what James was saying there. It was instead, here are the real demands on running a distillery. Here are the real demands on meeting global demand for that Isla distillery. Uh, Just absolutely wonderful. And so I love geeking out over that and, and paying attention to what they have done to date and what they will do in the future. Yes. And I obviously wish them continuing good luck, good fortune, and I will continue to take Whiskey Geek tours to Colholman and, and show them that wonderful farmhouse distillery with now two sets of stills.
0: Amazing. So I think that is a pretty good segue into the news.
1: History, history. Read all about it. Life, story, a flavor,
0: I wanted to talk I wanted to let people know quickly about our our Scotland trip. We're going to be while people are listening to this podcast we will actually be in Scotland like you mentioned, but I thought it'd be good to detail out a bit why we are headed out to Scotland and what some of our plans are. Cuz I don't think we've mentioned it previously in the news, have we?
1: I don't know, I don't listen to this shit.
0: <laughs> so the main reason that we, that you and I, Jason, are going to be on Isla is we are actually going to be hand-delivering the Great Isla Swim bottlings to the distilleries, hence the reason why we're going to be meeting with the good folks at Kilhoman, and, and so that's going to be good fun.
1: Very much so, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to handing off the Great Isle Swim bottle and overseeing it moving into the mail system to get to people who have purchased it.
0: Yeah. Yep. The other thing that I'd like to point out too, and this is, this is a peek behind the curtain, you know, one of the reasons that, that you and I go out to Scotland is, is you know, part of it is sometimes business simply does not happen unless you're out face-to-face with, with some of these good people out there. But we're meeting with a couple new brokers while we're out there. So we're hoping to, while we're looking to expand in the UK and Europe and in Canada, we, uh, we have new brokers that we're going to be working with to expand access to whiskey. So that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. What else, what, what else do we have that's newsworthy?
1: I, I will tell you this one, Joshua. You just gave a peek behind the curtain for doing business in Scotland. I'm going to offer up a peek behind the curtain for doing business in the United States. Mm-hmm. We made mention of it during the government shutdown. But I think it bears repeating, now that we're dealing with the fallout from the government shutdown, is not getting our labels approved for all of our new releases that are starting to pile up one on top of the other. Yeah. Is hugely frustrating
0: it's a national emergency jason
1: it is i wish somebody could could enact um a passage of labels for me um but yeah we've got we've got bottles queuing up in scotland that need to be coming to the u.s we've got bottles in the u.s Uh, i'm sorry we've got casks in the u.s that are not getting bottled our front page is showing, you know, the very last of our English whiskey company bottling and the very last of our Great Isla Swim offering. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, we're we're not looking like the strong independent bottling company that we are, because our offerings have been selling out so quickly and we need new offerings coming behind those. That a lack of labels just throws a wrench in the entire works. So the so the news, as as I'm presenting it here, is <laughs> fret not. There's a lot of whiskey coming. We're just waiting on the TTB getting through the stack of paperwork that built up during the government shutdown.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the good news is, when they reopened, they were promising forty day turnarounds. <laughs> and the, the good news is we're now down to three weeks, so we've gotten from 40 days to 21-day okay. turnarounds. Uh, having said that, at the time of this recording, we have yet to receive back any approved labels. So I think everything that we submitted is still falling within that 40-day lead time. But uh, there, there is light at the end of the tunnel, my friend.
1: Yeah, I, I will also say this. You just mentioned it a moment ago with the, the peak behind the curtain doing business with new brokers. And you and I wrote a series of tasting notes the other day in anticipation of future releases. And we are being offered some phenomenal casks.
0: Amazing and, casks.
1: And from distilleries that we have not bottled to date. I think a very exciting time for us despite the frustration that surrounds the turnaround time on labels.
0: What's got me excited about these casks from these distilleries that we had not seen before on the open market are being offered to us. Usually when I see a new name, I get nervous that it's being offered up because it is whiskey maturing in tired oak, right? That it's, uh, there's now a pile of it offered to independent bottlers, but eh, maybe not all of it is great. However, everything that we've tasted from our brokers has been fantastic. Really good oak, really good spirit, uh, interesting flavors. I'm, I'm so excited about releases five and six and seven that we have planned out already. Uh, but the impatient person in me is Impatient.
1: Well, that and the new brand that we're going to put out in 2019 as well, oh, that's that? that's in a little bit of flux right now as well. But again, fantastic, fantastic juice floating around in the mm-hmm. world that mm-hmm. we are searching out. So Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, let, let's end the news on that little positive note since the rest of the news, uh, certainly with the labels, is not it's not <laughs> making me the happiest. <laughs>
0: Okay, we did our mailbag episode that you would mentioned before, Jason, uh, which was the previous episode. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, one of the comments that I had heard well, from a few different people was, holy cow, Did I learned so much from the, this episode. Awesome. So, right? So if you've dodged it because we didn't have a guest on, uh, you may want to give it a listen because we had some phenomenal questions, which allowed us to do a little bit of research and and answer them properly, and actually call on uh, an industry friend to help out in answering as well. So also fun, yes, yeah. So I, I think it is well worth a listen if you if you missed it for whatever reason. Yeah, agreed, um, wholeheartedly. And and if you have questions that you've been wanting to ask. Uh, we will still be answering those questions from time to time. You can reach out to us and uh, you can email us questions at one nation under whiskey.com. You could go to our Facebook page, just go to Facebook, go to the search bar, One Nation Under Whiskey. You can go to our group page there. You could tweet at us at One Nation Whiskey, or you can Instagram us at One Nation Under Whiskey and Whiskey. Is always spelled without the E.
1: I'm also gonna throw <coughs> in another wrinkle.
0: Oh, snippity snap.
1: And say you and I are both on Instagram. We are, yes. And you are at Jumalt, J E W M A L T. And I am at Johnston Yellen, John Stone, Y E L L I N. I've got a question for you, Jason. I am so, there. Don't ask a question that says okay.
0: I'm I know you're there. My question is, we're now going to get friend requests for Instagram. Do you just let anybody in?
1: To Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. I don't post any family stuff on Instagram. See, I do. Well, my, my wife does, and she will tag me, but yeah. You don't do a lot of family stuff. It's mostly booze from you. And cats.
0: Booze and cats, boots and cats, boots and boots and cats. Booze, cats, <laughs> boos, cat, boos, cat, boos, <laughs> cats, cats. <sighs> I think the best course of action here, Jason, is to hand the audio off to James for his misconception. It's in there somewhere, and we will allow people to listen to it. But what I really want people to do is, after the misconception, And after the exiting music, there is a little bit of an Easter egg for people that I, that I know you are desperate to have them listen to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And so I I hope our dear listeners love it as much as I do. So does this mean you and I are getting out on this and then we're just turning the rest of the episode over to James?
0: I think so. I mean, unless there's any other compliments you want to give me then, you know, could just, hello? Is this thing on? Hello? Yeah, I'm good. So here's (laughs) the end of the episode, my friend. (laughs) It's the end of the episode as we know it. Okay, give a quick cheers and off to James for a misconception. Cheery, cheery, Cheers, Joshua, and cheers, listeners, and cheers to James for everything he did in this episode. Yeah, indeed. Thank you so much. Um, Okay, last question for you.
2: Okay.
0: Well, this is a serious one, isn't it? It's serious. It's serious. Um, Do you remember me asking about misconceptions? Uh, Not particularly. Okay, good. Um, You've been traveling to the US, to Canada, you've been to Germany four times. I remember the things you tell me. Okay, oh shit, you're Um, listening to what I'm saying? I I do, I listen to everything that you say. And and you you are and and you're at the distillery quite a lot, right? And yep. and you see guests coming in and so forth. And you know, Jason and I doing our bits on the road and, and, and with all that we do, often here, uh, people will have a misconception about whiskey production, whiskey in general, right? I, I one time heard someone ask if bourbon was a whiskey right if scotch was a whiskey and I said you've heard the term scotch whiskey before like oh yeah right. they're not even putting some of the most obvious things you know not putting two and two together and that's I think in part because uh, not everybody is as passionate about it or needs to retain the information that is given to them because, you know, like you, like you had said, we were at a, you know, sometimes you do some of these club tastings and the people that are coming to the club tastings, they may have whiskey and they may have some that they like, but they're coming to the club because something special is happening. By the time they get home, they may have forgotten everything that they've tasted, everything that they heard and they go back to drinking their Johnny red or, or, or whatever it may be. And so I'm just curious traveling around the world and, 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 and doing tastings and bringing people to the distillery, you know some of the misconceptions about whiskey that that you may have heard, or about Isla, and we can't do the uh, the age thing because that's been done.
2: No, I mean uh, uh, I. peatiness is the obvious one. People okay. people thinking that the um, the peatiness of the whiskey comes from the peat that's in the water. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and I actually I got this- asked this the other day. I think. Oh, did you? Yeah, and uh yeah, I mean the, the peatiness of the whiskey comes from smoking the barley. Um water, I think, has been uh, overplayed. You know, the importance of water is perhaps sometimes mm. overplayed in when it comes to, to Scotch whiskey. Um and yeah, all of the all of the smokiness comes from from smoking the barley using
0: peat okay. rather than anything to do with yeah. the water. You told this story and I thought it was great. Was that you know the the water that you're using for your own production is the same water that you're using for the sinks in your bathrooms and the the water in your toilets yeah and it's not the clearest water <laughs> in the world no and do you think that that plays a part in because you talk about the water going over the peat and that's why the you know the water is is dark in color
2: yeah. I mean, so, so the the water we have at the distillery is, a, I mean, it kind of compares to, a, I mean, a lot of whiskey you see on the shelf, um, particularly in the summer when there's less, you know, less water coming down the hill. that picks yeah. up more color from the from you the know, peat that yeah. is running over. And um, and it's roughly the color of, you know, a sherry-matured Kilhoman. You know? <laughs> um, so when people, when you go to the, the lazy Kilhoman and someone's in there and you're in the sort of the what do you call it? The stall next to them, or whatever. Yeah. And you, you, I've heard people in there just flushing
0: away, <laughs> and, and they you, think, people can't see what James did with his arm movement, <sighs> but it's that up and down flushing, and furiously, yes, yeah, yeah. away on this thing. <laughs>
2: and you know, that's just the color of the water, mate. No one's. <laughs> uh, there's a film called Magruba, and I can and it's and then, <laughs> <laughs> There's a thing where he says, "Ah, oh, Christ, this is going to work," because I can't remember. But basically, the the moral of the story is to make fun of someone. He, he took a shit in the in the cistern <laughs> instead of the um instead of the bowl. So oh, that, So yes. that when his mate was flushing the lid... Yes. Uh, it's an upper-decker.
0: Yeah, it's called an upper-decker. Ad-
2: upper-decker. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe all these guys <laughs> who are coming to the distillery assume
0: that someone's put an upper-decker upper in, the, in, in there. The, in the In their flush and away. Wow. So that earthiness comes from the upper-deckers in, yeah, yeah. in your yeah. toilets.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 it comes
0: from the peak. <laughs> um, but, I mean,
2: uh, in terms of how it inflects the whiskey, no one's upper decker upper deckering the production water. <laughs> uh, not that I know of, anyway. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> I I think, uh, I think it, it will have an effect on, on the whiskey. Um, we've never really looked at it particularly closely. Um, you know we have a, a good quality, very soft water um, that, that we use for our production yeah. and uh, pff, the impact of that on, on the eventual whiskey, yeah. I think it is, is minimal really.) <laughs>
0: I think we're okay? Have you been drinking? Uh, I, I haven't been drinking. I just don't know what the laws are around recording a podcast while driving. They probably okay. just think we're like a you know a, a boy band practicing in the car. All
2: oh, right. Maybe we should throw in some hand movements, oh, some dance yes. moves. I really freak them out. <laughs> I'm not going to sing. Believe oh, me. You, don't, you don't want me to sing. Oh, oh. <laughs> How good at ed- editing this are you? You know, you got only that auto tune
0: stuff. Oh, I can do it. Yeah, no, just no, just to alt- yeah. I'm going to auto-tune your entire audio file. <laughs> you would not believe. You would honestly not
2: believe how bad the Willses are at singing. <laughs> you know, people can be bad at like uh, at you know they're bad singers in that they don't hit the right note, but we can't quite get the the timing right either. Oh, right, you're rhythmically challenged. Rhyth- yeah, yeah, rhythmically. Challenged. You can't even say rhythmically. No. <laughs> don't start that one. Come on. Yeah.
0: Wow, that's funny. Yeah.
2: So now everyone's saying, oh, "I want to hear him sing." Yeah. Okay. Buy me a couple of drinks, you know. Yeah, you. Karaoke. That's right. You. Baby got back. That's my. That's my jam. Is that your jam? Yeah. Wait, I isn't like, that uh, you, I like? Because Silicon. Yeah, because yeah, you, uh, yeah. you don't. Sing. You just sort of shout obscenities.
0: Wow, yeah. when you see that, what is that? There's something in your face. You get sprung. Does that want to make up tough because you don't notice that butt was stuffed?
2: Even the Gigi's wearing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hooked, trying to can't stop staring. Oh, blame me, and all that goes <laughs> like
0: that. Oh, yeah. that's brilliant. I'm just going to put that on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: can't believe I just did that. <laughs> in fact, that's the only part of the. The only part of the interview that's going to make it onto the podcast—you can't
2: see me. I'm you know, squirming
0: like mad. <laughs> Just started sweating as well. <laughs>